And welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled. I've been telling my story there of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my story there, and I hold space for your stories here. And I want to give you a quick update about the Unpickled Holiday Survival Guide that I launched last week on Amazon. And I have a sales goal to hit by Christmas time. And because you guys are so awesome, that sales goal was hit in the first three days. So the response has been phenomenal. And I am so grateful because, as I've mentioned, that book project helps to support this program and allows me to keep this programming ad-free. So I'm really excited about that and grateful to you. And the feedback has been really positive. So I'm super happy about that. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, you can get it uh, ebook or print book. Uh, right now it's on Amazon. So whatever your country's Amazon site is, go to that and you can order it there. Uh, and as of this week, it will also be available on Kobo, Apple Books, and through your local book retailers. And that should be by the end of this week as well. So thank you everyone for your tremendous support of that book because it equals support of this show. And I am super grateful. So I'm really excited to hear from our guests today. I love it when people find new ways to support other people in recovery and look at great ways to bring support and comfort and and to make it fun. I mean, it's, we're kind of in a special club here, you guys. <laughs> Not everyone is doing what we're doing, and I really appreciate people that think differently about how we can keep ourselves going and supported. So we're going to meet Terry Hug from the Sober Box Company. She's going to share her story with us and tell us about her new project. Terry, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm glad you're here, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you. So first, I want you to just tell us a little bit about Soberbox Company, what that is, what it's all about, and then I really want to hear your story and get to know you. Absolutely. Uh, the Soberbox Company is um, started by me, and it is a It's actually the first ever personal development uh, subscription box company for uh, sober women. So we are specifically serving sober women, and it uh, it was created uh, from my own struggles on my own uh, recovery journey. Um, I had a lot of um, struggles, I think, in recovery itself, but then once I went past the initial, let's say, detox and recovery phases, and I wanted to really go into how to thrive, um, there weren't really too many systems in place to help me with that. And so um, that journey has now birthed uh, the silver box. So uh, my journey, uh, as thick as I guess my past is thick, as probably a lot of people (laughs) have, 
I would definitely say if I'm taking the time to go all the way back uh, to the roots of where my alcoholism started, I would have to start back at around age five. I had extreme anxiety uh, since at least age five is my earliest memory. And it manifested in grade school into OCD behaviors. And um, it went on the whole, my whole life. I don't recall a specific trauma happening that set it off. Um, if it did happen, it's before the age of five and I'm not recalling it. I've spent a lot of time in my life with uh, healers and in natural modalities to pick a little bit into that to see if I could figure it out. And I know I've come across a couple different pieces to this puzzle. I'm not sure they're all of the reasons why I had, you know, uh, experiencing that as a child. Uh, there were, you know, issues with my mother suffering from depression and anxiety when she was pregnant with me. And around the age of five is when my father lost his job and it took a serious financial hit um, that they, both my parents kind of went down and uh, weren't able to recoup off of that loss. And they had, the house was very stressful. So I know there's a couple key components that contribute to it, but there, you know, I don't really recall one specific thing that, that has, has set it off. Um, but by age 16, I think I was just tired. I was just extremely tired. And I can say that now looking back, but obviously when you're 16, you're not really <laughs> thinking that way. And I started to get into alcohol and smoking pot and, for the first time in my life, I felt calm and peaceful and I felt free. And to me, alcohol was amazing. I was like, wow, I, I never, I, I don't know what it feels like to not shake and to not be scared and to not be counting things because your OCD is going crazy. Um, so Around that time, I just really, I got very, I was just very rebellious. I started running away. I mean, I was a straight A student and I just went into that party crazy lifestyle. And by then, by age 16, it really turned into depression. And then from 16 to 18, I really suffered uh, tremendously from depression. And I had suicidal thoughts. And it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling and getting, getting worse and worse. And then I think into my 20s, it just continued that party lifestyle. Now I'm legally able to drink. And so the party just got bigger. You know, I could go to bars and, and do all of the, these things legally. And the alcoholism just kept rolling and getting more and more intense. I started working in the club scene. So it then became a lifestyle even more. So it wasn't just like the thing you did on the side. And I think 
one of the bigger traumatic events, um, there were a few that happened in my 20s, uh, was I had two reconstructive jaw surgeries that happened in my 20s. And it pretty much, it's it's kind of hard to explain, but uh, my whole upper jaw basically collapsed into my head. And I had to have two, and it it happened very slowly and quickly all at the same time. Um, And I had to have two surgeries, one to expand my upper jaw and one to break it and move it forward. And the reason why I mention this is because during that time frame, I went through some, for about two years, went through some very hard physical deformities that were very apparent to everybody um, that saw me, including after one of my surgeries, um, that the one surgery that had moved my jaw, broke it and moved it apart. It left a gap in my front teeth for a couple weeks. Um, it was the size, it was bigger than the size of a tooth. So it wasn't like a fun gap, like a Madonna kind of gap (laughs) or Michael Strahan kind of gap. It was a horrendous, horrendous gap. And in that time frame, escalated alcoholism, escalated depression, escalated the low self-esteem. It really did a a number on me. And it was the first time um, I had the given was given prescription medicine for depression and, and had tried it. Um, you learn a lot in that time frame when your whole physical self changes and how people on the outside treat you. Um, and you learn a lot when you're unable to smile and communicate with people. So it was a very trying time, but it was a very, it was definitely a marker uh, in my life that, that kept escalating everything. And I did try, you know, by the, from my doctor, I tried prescription medication for um, depression and it actually made it worse. And I did not have a very good experience uh, with it. But the good news is, is I did move through that and I did come off the other side and then into my 30s, all of this time, the alcoholism just continued to escalate. It never, it never calmed down. It always continued to just increase, increase, increase. And in my 30s, you know, it just became, again, a different uh, part of my life. It just looked a little different. Um, I got married and we bought a brand new house and, you know, we were, you know, avid motorcycle riders. So we would travel and then all of a sudden every, I could see things, how I just started to make alcohol part of everything I did. And so even though my life looked like it was changing for the better, like I got a great career and I you know got the husband and I got the job and or the house and, you know, I've got this great social life. I was pairing everything with alcohol. It was like, hey, let's build this brand new deck off the house. And we were doing it like, because we can have margaritas out there. And, you know, great, we can build a bonfire. We can have, you know, people over and drink here. And then when we go motorcycle riding, we stop at the bars, we're going to drink. And then, you know, it was like, it was like a pairing. And so even though my life looked like it was calming down because I wasn't working in the club scene anymore and I wasn't like heavily partying and I was entering this new, like in my thirties kind of phase, 
here I was still pairing everything though with alcohol to the point of, you know, I, you know, for years I was still blacking out, drunk, um, passing out, uh, can't remember anything. You know, it, it was just crazy. Um, and then for me, I would say the ultimate pivot then came in 2010. And in 2010, uh, I lost my mother to cancer. And we were going through the recession around that time frame. And my husband and I had kept a hold of our jobs for a certain period of time. And then we both lost our jobs. And at that time, I was working in the corporate world, kind of living that, that life. And at the time, I was living in Wisconsin. And what I didn't know, what a lot of people kind of don't know, is in certain states, the recession hits differently and, and it looks different in different states. And in Wisconsin, it was like steamrolled. Like I couldn't get a job at McDonald's if I tried. It was terrible. And it ended up kind of starting the domino effect of just losing everything. So in about a year's time, I lost everything. My mother died. We filed for divorce. I lost the house. I lost all financial security. Um, you know, I, here I am jobless. I'm getting a divorce. I have nothing. And I literally started to, um, I felt thirsty. Like I felt thirsty for something that I had no idea what I, what I was thirsty for. And I felt like I wanted a connection to something, but I didn't know to what. And that's when I found yoga. And I got, I went to a couple classes and I was hooked. I felt like this was the answer to something. And I put myself through uh, yoga teacher training and became a certified instructor and a meditation teacher. And even at that time, it was like, looking back, it's funny, it was the tra- it was a transition period. But here I was learning all this magnificent, magnificent stuff in yoga. But at the same time, I was still drinking, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it, but it was the transition, right? It was like one foot was in and one foot, you know, was, was out. And as the divorce was finalizing, I just couldn't, I I still couldn't, I couldn't handle anything. I was literally just losing my mind. And I literally picked up all of my things, shoved it in a truck and I left and I moved to Kentucky because I knew somebody at the time here. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a job. I couldn't find a job in Wisconsin anyways. I was, I heard that they were, there were jobs in Kentucky and I could go and I could get a job and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. And so there I did, I, I picked up everything and I, I came down there. And, um, at the time when I landed, I still kept, drinking but I the transition was happening and I gravitated to more of it so I started to gravitate more to uh, healers and other people who uh, in the natural kind of world what they were doing and what I could do to help myself and I started you know I, I tried to to go sober and then ended up relapsing and then um you know that kind of just went up and down up and down up and down and it was and it's ironic because in the alternative field they teach you this exact knowledge and they teach you how your body heals 
It's not a straight line. It's actually all over the place. You're going to feel great in the beginning, and then you're going to crash. And then you're going to feel better, and then you're probably going to crash a little bit, not as hard as the first time. And then eventually your body's going to even out, and you're going to um, you're going to heal. And I heard that knowledge coming from a chiropractor. I heard that knowledge coming from an acupuncturist. And all of a sudden I could mirror that and go, you know, me relapsing really wasn't that big of a deal. It was my body trying to heal. And it made sense to me and it made me feel okay. And it made me feel like, all right, this is going to be a bumpy road, but that's the way it is. And so I just dove really hardcore into even more of the alternative world. And I became a certified health coach and I was working at a chiropractic office. I had worked at an acupuncture clinic and I was getting Reiki and I was trying this and I was trying that. And I just literally was piecing all of these things together manually to, in the end, try to increase my health, both mentally and physically. And four years ago, I successfully stopped, you know, drinking. And I've been sober now for for four years and feel pretty grounded in, in these four years. And now it's to the point where I look back and I go, all right, great. This was, this was great, but I saw, you know, just looking at my own struggle and going, that is ridiculous. Like I've spent so much time trying to piece stuff together in the holistic world. And they know so much in this arena. Why isn't this knowledge really robust in the, in the recovery arena? And to me, I went, this is wrong what can I do to help fix this and that's when I came uh and kind of put my thoughts together with the silver box um was how do I get this information that I'm now coaching people you know through health coaching I'm coaching you know silver women and um people in general how to increase their health how to increase the health of their mind and their body I'm like, how can I, how can we do this in a different way that reaches more people and from a more affordable perspective as well? Um, it's, you know, I look back and I, it's such a, it's such a hard road and such a difficult road. Um, but then at the same time, I. I'm grateful for all the people and all the teachers and, and everybody that has helped me along the way. And I know that there's so much more to learn still too. And there's so much more that I need to learn for myself. Um, and having space to say, Hey, um, the healing journey and the growing journey journey, I don't think ever really end because I don't believe that there's a state of perfection that exists. Um, but, you know, at this point, how do I take what I, you know, like I said, how do I take what I do know so far and give that back? I think um, sober women really do deserve to thrive. And I strongly believe that this 
box and the system is going to help women uh, do that. Tell us about the Silver Box Company. It's a subscription box program. Is that correct? Yes. So most subscription boxes are full of consumable products and, you know, they kind of got a theme like, you know, a shaving club and then, you know, you get shaving items every month. So we're a little bit different in the fact that it is a methodical system that actually helps um, you develop a private practice at home and then also connects you with community. So the box itself is teaching a lesson. We have a core lesson every single month. And so you're guided that way. Um, And then we, some of our boxes have guest teachers and they will be teaching their core lesson in that box. And then every month, um, the, the structure of the box is the same. Well, the theme is going to change, but the structure of the box is the same. So you get a guide, the written guide, it's a booklet that you get in the box. And it says, hey, this is your core lesson. This is why you're learning this. This is how it's going to help you. This is going to help, how it's going to help your recovery. Um, and these are the results that you should expect uh, from it. And then... Um, there's anywhere between three to six products in each of the box that support that theme. And there's also, you get online access to our, or access to our online portal. And that's going to connect you with other subscribers. And in that online access, you get uh, to, you know, uh, converse with other, other women um, and post information and there's also going to be access to workshops and online courses right in that portal as well. And um, we also run by the lunar cycle. So each box, we are also connecting with the 30-day window every month that the cycle of the moon runs. And the reason why we do this is because, uh, honestly, the opposite of addiction, I believe, really is conscious connection. And this is one way to bring people closer and connected to themselves and to also, dare I say, at the universe. Um, so we do, we're connected to that, that 30-day window and the opportunity to learn new, um, new tools and resources and also change uh, habits. That's a pretty big undertaking. So this isn't just a little treat that arrives in the mail, although it is that, and that sounds great. But you're so it's also really education, community, connection, and you're really taking a holistic approach. That's a lot to take on for you. So what has the experience been like for you creating this program and bringing the Soberbox company to life? So far, it's been really good. Uh, it's exciting. I have a very creative side and I love to think outside the box. <laughs> um, and to create this has been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been easy in ways because this you know, person that I'm trying to serve is me. Like, this is me. This is, I think of how I struggled. What are the things that upset me when I was, you know, trying to uh, learn these tools and resources? You know, and I basically just keep that in mind and throw that back into the box. So to me, this has been super fun and exciting. And I truly believe uh, it is a need that we're, you know, that we're filling. And, And, you know, we do put, 
self-care items or what I tend to call items that pamper you in the box. And the reason for that is, you know, this road of recovery was hard. It was difficult. It was extremely difficult. I don't think I've talked to anybody who's, you know, gone on the on the journey of recovery and said, oh, it was super easy, right? Like, <laughs> that's, that's not the case. It's a difficult journey. And part of that is looking at the mind and the body and looking at the damages that have done to, to yourself. And the opportunity to recalibrate your nervous system and to also address your mental health isn't nice. It's required. You have to, you have to learn those things in order to get to the level of thriving. You can't thrive if you haven't learned that. So that is a part of the box. We definitely didn't lose that element of that kind of pampering, right? Like here's some, you know, XYZ products that are going to just pamper you because I think that you have to, you've got to learn how to, how how to implement a self-care program uh, into your life. And part of being able to grow is to go, yeah, just have that honest conversation, say, yeah, I've been through a hell of a lot of stuff. Hmm. And it's not just me saying, hey, okay, I'm done. And I'm, you know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. Just to say, yes, I'm sober. And now I'm moving on. Your body's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I work on it on my own system here. Like you've got to care and love and nurture your mental and physical health. And so there is that element, you know, that's a little bit mimics, you know, the other subscription box where it is fun and it's pampering, but I'm not doing it because I like consumables. Like I'm a girl, I don't need another mascara. You know what I mean? Like, give me something that's actually going to help me and that's actually going to make an improvement in my life. And so those products are very mindfully chosen to say, okay, this is a good product and this is cute or this tastes good or whatever, but it's, it has its purpose. If that makes sense. Does you, for sure, absolutely. Does, does, um, do your offerings um, embody, reflect, uh, incorporate any specific recovery programs or philosophies? And do you see it as something that kind of works along with um, whatever program people are using in their sobriety? We do not. Uh, it's very general. And I do want to stress that anybody who is just embarking on becoming sober needs to stick with the original plan of going through your detox and going and, and choosing your programs and working your programs and, or if needed, going to a treatment facility. We do not replace that. That's not what this is for. This is for somebody who has done those steps already and has gone out into the world and is doing recovery now by themselves and are ready to go to the next level. They're ready to start to learn how to actually thrive. And this is where we come in. So we really have no connection to a specific um, 
group or steps or, or anything like that. This is all about uh, holistic health and how to improve the health of your mind and your body and knowing that we are servicing uh, sober women. And, yeah, we do not, we are definitely not, not that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about you a little bit more. How has just the creative process and the the work that is involved with just doing something new and something different how has that fed you in your recovery and have you had to adjust at all as a result that's a great question um it's funny because that is one of the main questions ironically that we ask in our boxes um because if, if somebody subscribes to the sober box, their very first box is our starter kit. Regardless of what month you sign up, you're going to get the starter kit first. And so we kind of teach our foundation of how we run all of our boxes from that starter kit. And one of the main questions we ask in the starter kit is, what are you really hungry for? Because when it comes down to it, it's like, how are you fed? Are you fed in the right places in your life? So I think that that's a fantastic question. (laughs) It does... uh, um, I do. I mean, it feeds so many different categories in my life. It obviously feeds my kind of career sector, if you will, because I'm now taking, you know, coming from just being a, a, a coach to magnifying that. It feeds my creativity, which I think is a pillar that we need to feed. I find it funny when you talk to some people and they're like, oh, I'm not a creative person. I'm like, you know, I'm in that school of thought that I I truly believe we all have it in us. It's just, it'll come out in different ways um, for me. And so I do think that everybody needs to feed that kind of, like I said, pillar of creativity. So it does do that. And for me, it's really important because I am tapped into that uh, sector in my life. And it is a very important part of my life. And when I don't feed it, I feel it immediately. I think it feeds uh, the joy part of my life. And I think it feeds the giving and serving part of my life because I truly believe that we are going to build a community with this box. And I truly believe um, we are going to, because we already are connecting with other organizations and people who are out in the recovery arena already doing this. You know, they're, they're pushing the movement and they're um, out there doing amazing things. And I really want to see more of us come together, more of the people who do have businesses and who are leaders, more of them coming together so we could all push the collective potential of all of us. Um, so it definitely feeds, feeds that. And I love, I just love the connections that I'm making so far. I love to hear from women who are writing me who are saying, thank God, thank you for creating this. And a lot of times somebody has created this. And, you know, when is this, when is this for sale? What, you know, what are the details? Um, how can I be involved? And um, different leaders who have reached out to me already saying, this is great. I, I, you know, I can't, I can't wait to see this. And just starting to build those connections. So I think when you, I think when, overall, when you really step into your flow and you step into where you're supposed to be in life, uh, it it feeds you on on several different levels. Mm, I think that's very true. 
That's very true. And I like that you used the word flow because that is, you know what? I think I'm going to pick the word flow as my word of the year for next year. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> because, um, uh, there is really something that each of us have. We know when we are doing that thing that feels right, it clicks. It's not just that we're good at it. It's that it's, it's, gives us so much joy as we do it that we kind of lose time and we go into this it's I think our brain waves actually change if I'm not mistaken when we're in that yeah. mindset right and um and it's a really special place to be and it is where the magic happens and um it isn't always what we're able to do for our jobs it isn't always what we're able to do um as much as we'd like to but when we find it we have to figure out how to build it into our lives so i'm really i'm glad you used that word to describe you know how this how this is for you because that is that's i i don't know i feel like that's a really key piece of recovery that not being numb allows us to feel, which is mm-hmm. pretty hard to do when you're uh, buzzed all the time. So exactly, <laughs> you cannot. Yeah, and you can't. You can't be in flow drunk. It's just it's not. It's not possible. It's not right? happening. You feel like you're in flow, but it ain't real flow. It's not organic flow. It's and it, in a flow. way, it's really more. The great feeling that we're trying to get when we when we drink, um, you know that sort of that those first few times we drink, we all often get have like kind of a sweet experience that we we keep trying to recreate and it's it never happens again or it's very hard to get again. And and I yeah. think that is what a lot of people are sad to give up is that hope of ever having that sort of that feeling of being, you know, in this zone in this good zone and uh, ironically being alcohol free is is the place where it's found so that's great exactly oh. and you know what it's like it it's like and you're you're searching for that how to, how to feel alive you know how do I come yeah. alive because right. I used xyz to come alive and it's like now it's like you you want that feeling it exists it does mm-hmm. it organically mm-hmm. exists and if if we can help people find that. I I couldn't be more happier. I could not be yeah. more happier. You know, it's it I, really I you're saying a lot. You're saying a lot. You're saying some major things, and I completely 100% agree with you. I I really think too that the things that we see individuals do when they do find that place for them. It, be, it can become their legacy. <laughs> and that's yeah. the other thing, right? Like none of us want our drinking to be our legacy no. um, or, or suffering or just coping, like coping poorly. But we don't want that to be our legacy. So um, when we think about people that have left behind, you know, art or just someone who, I don't know, just fill in the blank with all the things that people do and enjoy and are good at and give meaning to their lives. And I mean, that is... That's a beautiful legacy. I want to also circle back to uh, you talked about the the um, quit and relapse cycle, and I have mm-hmm. to confess that I I often feel a little bit of fear around this discussion because I managed to white knuckle through the early days of my sobriety and never relapse, and I, and and yet as from the many people I've talked to, I know that a lot of people have a cycle of of uh, relapse 
again and again and again, but they do actually eventually find sobriety if they stick with it. And I, for the longest time, felt discomfort around hearing people talk about relapse because I wasn't sure how to be supportive and accepting of the reality that relapse plays in some people's story without seeming to approve of it and give a pass, you know, and and somehow make people, I don't know, I just, I feel like it, it's a, it's a tender discussion that has to be had. And yet, um, I wish no one had to relapse because it is hard to keep getting back up and getting back up or to, to hang on to that mindset of that, you know, we are really shooting for abstinence here and that we don't drink no matter what. So how do you find the sweet spot in that discussion? And how do you view that in a way that embodies compassion and understanding and support for people that are stuck in that cycle and still move them forward out of it? One of the key things with coaching people is, and I'm not kidding you, is surrounded by that question of, you know, what are you really hungry for? And my approach is all positive. It is, you know, we've, we've, we've been in this state where like no drugs, no drinking, can't do this, can't do that. And you have to, because that's how you end, you know, that behavior. But moving forward, it, I'm really um, a huge advocate from the school of thought of positivity. Everything has to, you have to change your entire thinking process to that of a, positive mindset and a positive approach and the add in approach, meaning, all right, let's not, let's, let's stop thinking about all of the things that we can't do when we can't have and start to focus on what we can add into our lives, what we get to do, what we're excited about, because I truly believe that's also connected with this whole conversation that we're having about coming alive and, um, getting connected to the things that you that really feed you, I think that's all. Those are all little tentacles that are all connected, that bring a person away from the next relapse or preventing them from that next the next relapse. I think when you're totally focused on that, you start to feel and and experience that aliveness that you had when you were drunk and you don't need those things to do it. And that becomes that almost light switch that goes, Oh my God, this is, this is subconsciously or unconsciously what I've been searching for. Because we all just at the end of the day, want to be happy. We want to be loved and we want to be supported. So if we take that power in our own hands and say, Hey, I do. I, along with some guidance and some help on how to do that and how, how to grab these things. And at the end of the day, I have the power myself to give me what I'm actually looking for, which is that love and support and ultimately those things that feed you. So I always come from that approach. The box comes from that approach. The box teaches that approach. Um, this is how we're going to think we're, this is how we're going to think. This is how you look at your life, how you break things down. And now every single box, that's exactly what we're doing. We're teaching you how to feed yourself and find, find the deficits in your life and start adding things into those deficits that you have in your life to start to actually experience that balance, 
um, overall in your life. So there is no room for shame in that equation. There is no room for for guilt, shame, beating yourself up. It really is keep moving forward and keep being positive and finding the positive in what you're doing. I mean, it is and there isn't. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we're all human. It's not perfect. It's not clean, right? You know, and along the way, when when things come up, um, I think there's a time and a, and a place for definitely – holding compassion for somebody because it's not, it's not all that clean and easy, right? Like there's going to be suffering points and we have to be able to stand by each other and be able to hear each other and, and support somebody um, while they're trying to figure this all out. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I think it, it takes a long time for us to, to get to that point where we realize we need recovery. I mean, we spend a long time malfunctioning mm-hmm. or mal, not, not malfunctioning, but right. um, coping. We just spend a lot of time coping in these old patterns before we get to the point where we're ready to make a change. And I always think, you know, it, it's pretty hard to flip the switch on a pattern that you've spent years developing. It really, yeah. we really have to be patient with ourselves and understand it does take time and persistence and repetition to build those yeah. new, those new habits and those new ways of thinking. And yeah, I mean, another, I tell people, I tell people like, remember when you rode a bike, go unlearn how to ride a bike. Yeah, right. That's hard. It's hard to do. (laughs) So give yourself some compassion when you're trying to re like, just like you said, like when you're trying to learn a habit, you're trying to implement it or redo one or let one old one go. It's hard, but you know what? Like stop beating yourself up because it's not, it's not you. (laughs) This is, this is it. Like the next time you feel like beating yourself up because you can't remember, like I just started in the last couple of weeks, uh, habit stacking myself. So I am trying to do a session of gratitude in my head when I have my morning coffee. That's not complicated. Okay. Do I forget? I forget like the five days, like every day I'm forgetting, I'm going back and I'm like, this is not difficult. Like I just, I have my morning coffee and I say my gratitude. And it, it took me like two weeks before I, like it really set in and it wasn't even anything difficult. So it's like, yeah, go next time you're going to beat yourself up when you're trying to, trying to, you know, do the right thing. And you're trying to put these new habits in place. Just remember that, like go on learn a bicycle. That's, <laughs> and that's a great remember. analogy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. So it's, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Another thing you talked about that, that, sounded very familiar to me was talking about how you made a habit of pairing activities with alcohol and that you have a lot of things that you did in life and that you enjoyed, but you always managed to pair them with alcohol. And what I'm wondering now, um, as you are, you know, in this new life and have all new patterns, did you have to replace those activities altogether or did you do them differently? You know, did you do the same things, but without alcohol or how did that change for you? I think it just happened, you know, one by one as they, as they came along. Um, you know, I looked at like cooking, like I really, I, I was a horrible cook. I mean, I was literally like Kraft macaroni and cheese and hot dogs. It was terrible. And then when I got the, 
the new house and I was married, I got into like Rachel Ray and she showed me how to cook and I was all excited and I loved my brand new kitchen and I just love the fact that I could come home with a bottle of wine and open it up and then sit there and cook and be actually good at it. And then it was just like, oh, it just felt like home to me. So when one of those things gets destroyed, right, like you break it down and you lose it, and then you're also trying to get rid of the alcohol piece, you know, it's so depressing. You're just like, oh, my God, I lost my house. And then I'm like, then I, I just had this whole thing, and it was my thing. And then I lost my thing. And it's like, you know, cooking, you have to do it. You, you know, you, you have to do it and survive. It's not like I could just be like, oh, that's the whole thing is just done. You know, I don't have to worry about that anymore. So it's like, you know, taking things one by one and then realizing again in that moment, I went, okay, for this instance, you know, now I'm in my new house and I have to cook and I don't drink anymore. What did I really like about that? What made me you know, happy in that moment, I felt, you know, what did I really want? What was I really hungry for in that, in that situation and broke that situation down and said, actually, I love the fact that, you know, I got to just be myself and not let anybody disturb me. I didn't have emails or the phone call or whatever. Like it was just my time to be by myself. And I had, I was doing something with my hands, which I, I have to do, I have to work with my hands. And I liked that element with cooking. And I'm like, you know, it wasn't all about the drinking. It wasn't all about me, you know, just getting buzzed. You know, what gets me buzzed now is turning my music on and dancing around in the kitchen while I cook. It doesn't always look that great, but it's fantastic. And honestly, it was in that moment when I broke down that moment, for me, it was me just taking the day and putting it to rest and doing something with my hands, feeding myself some nutritional food, not having anybody bothering me. And now I play music and I get to just kind of unwind. I was truly wanting to unwind with that bottle. I wanted that bottle to take away my stress. I wanted that bottle to keep me nice and calm and allow me to be comfortable by myself. Now I learn I can be comfortable by myself without it. And I just recreated that particular event with the elements that I was actually truly wanting that I thought I was getting from the bottle, but I was more than capable of giving myself those things without it. You were really able to extract a lot of information from that scenario and when when you really took the time to look at it and ask yourself that question and sit with the feeling of what was I getting out of that what do I want what do I need in that moment and I feel like that's a hard thing for many of Mm -hmm. us to learn to do because we are uh, often especially anyone that sort of falls into the codependency angle completely Mm -hmm. in denial about how we feel, what we think. It really is a matter of what do I need to do? What am I expected to do? What will make other people happy? And it is a completely new and very uncomfortable exercise to actually look at yourself and try to extract what it is that you 
wants and why that that is meeting your needs. So that that is a new muscle that we have to build mm-hmm. in recovery, isn't it? It's a practice, and I mm-hmm. and I still practice it. As good as I am on it, I'm not perfect, and I and I constantly see things that I do. And then I slip back into, you know, some type of old way of thinking or behaving and then go, oh, yeah, here I am again. Like, you know, and it's those situations are just opportunities to become closer to yourself and connect with yourself. It's it's scary. Yes. Um, I've been the girl on the floor crying her eyes out Um in horrible, horrible, uh, you know, amounts of pain, un, un, just wanting to get out of my skin kind of pain. You can do it. You can absolutely do it. And it's a practice and nobody's perfect. And I wish somebody would have said that to me earlier on and would have just said, guess what? This is going to be messy. It's going to be messy, but it's going to be so worth it. And it's a practice. Keep reminding yourself it's a practice. So many people think like they try it like once or twice. Go back to that bike again. Like, did you just get on a bike and you just sailed off? No, you practice. Or you think of like an NBA player. They're like the best players out there. What do they do? They're practicing. Why are they practicing if they're the best? If they, if they, if they know what they're doing? Because they know you have to practice. You just have to practice over and over. Same school, you have to take that knowledge and put it back to yourself and go, hey, this soul growth thing takes practice. My personal growth takes practice. My healing of my mental and my physical health takes practice. It's okay. There's no destination that you're getting to. It's it's not going to be this island that we're all going to reach and be like, yay, well done, you know, we succeeded. It, it doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. So just Take a step back and go, oh, okay, this is all just a practice. And I and we all have to do it over and over and over. And the reason why you want to do it is because what you gain from that is ultimately what we were talking about earlier in the conversation is all of those things that you're going to gain, the knowledge of what actually makes you come alive, what makes you feel good, your life is going to change. And it's going to be amazing. I think that is the perfect thought on which to uh, end our discussion today. Terry Hug, thank you so much for being here with me. Can you tell our listeners how they can find you and the Soberbox Company? Absolutely. They can go to thesoberboxcompany.com or you can find us on Instagram at Soberbox Company. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, for sharing your story, and for letting our listeners know about your new project. And I wish you all the best. I'm really excited to look into it myself. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks, Terry. That's it for this week, listeners. Thank you all for all your support and love and community that comes along with being part of this show. That's all for this week. So until next time, take good care. Not looking
Just want to 